Hi, this is Len Peralta of Geek Week, and you're listening to Versus the World Radio. Uh, hi, everybody. My name's Will, and I'm here to tell you some stories. I, um, I am easily amused. I believe this is the best way to go through life, because when one is easily amused, it's very difficult to get all upset about things. Like, for example, spam coming into your inbox. It's just a thing that's going to happen, and you can't make it stop. So when you receive spam, like this, like this, like this, Paul, like this, Paul, sort of like, all right, so imagine that you know, you're like sitting at the computer, and you're like, Will, you're going on next. And I'm like, OK. And you're like, OK, so I'm going to be all set up for you. Good work. <laughs> so you get spam like this. For those of you who can't read, Aloha, hail fellow. There is no reason to run wild if you have no erection. It's time to help yourself. Nash Morton told me for this link, you can just ask if you want some more of this. I don't know why, but this amused me. So I imagined the following. First, I would like to thank Nash Morton, who I am sure owns a yacht, wears the finest silk shirts, and only the fanciest of pants. for giving my email address to his friend who is so concerned about how many wild runnings I miss out on because I have no erection. <laughs> now, some of you may be too young to recall a time when you could run wild just because you felt in yourself the need to run wild. It's true, you children. These were days long ago. But, in our modern times, if you do not have an erection, you are simply not allowed to run wild. <laughs> Allow me to recreate for you a scene which I vividly recall. Me. Hello. Is this the place you come to when you wish to run wild? Burly man with a Wilford Brimley mustache at the entrance to a place where men run wild. Oh, indeed it is. Aloha hail, fellow. Me. Oh, thank the gods. I've felt a need to run wild, a compulsion whose origination I know not. And I've finally found the place in which to do it. Burly man with a Wilfred Brimley mustache at the entrance to a place where men run wild. That's fine news, friend. Fine, fine news indeed. Just show me your erection and I'll grant you entrance to the place where men run wild. Me. Ah, nuts. You see, at the moment, I am not in possession 
of an erection. Burly man with a Wilfred Brimley mustache at the entrance to a place where men run wild. What? Me, I'm ever so sorry, sir, if you could find it in yourself to allow an erectionless man to come and run, burly man. Certainly not! We here at a place where men run wild stand for certain things. Me, but burly man, chief among those things, sir, is an erection. He calls off behind an opulent curtain. Jenkins! Jenkins, come here a moment! Jenkins, a man who has an obvious and enormous erection. <laughs> yes, sire? This, oh, sorry, burly man. This man here wishes admittance to a place where men run wild. Jenkins, oh, bully, sir, bully indeed. Just show us your erection and be ready for the wildest running time of your life. Me, right about that burly man with a Wilford Brimley mustache. He has no erection. Jenkins, oh, it's a jolly good joke, sire, a jolly good joke to me. Just present your erection, and I will personally guide you through the curtain to a place where men run wild. Burly man with a Wilfred Brimley mustache at the entrance to a place where men run wild. Jenkins, do you have an erection in your ears? I said this man here has no erection. Jenkins, forsooth, Jenkins faints. As he falls to the ground, all you can see in him profile is his perfectly shaped nose, gigantic erection, and shoes. He's in my head, he's like an, he's like an Edward Gorey drawing. It's like, it's like Edward Gorey meets Soriyama, and they're right there. For those of you who are in that Venn diagram, I don't want to know, please don't tell me you got that joke. Because I actually just made myself very uncomfortable. Anyway, Jenkins faints. Burly man with a Wilfred Brimley mustache. Well, I hope you're happy. You've given Jenkins cause to faint. Me, I'm ever so sorry, sir. I merely wished to run wild. Burly man with a Wilfred Brimley mustache at the entrance to a place where men run wild. Please leave. Me, but, sir, if I could just for a moment... Burly man, no! No, you most certainly may not! I bid you good day, sir. Come back when you have an erection. Perhaps you could speak with Nash Morton. So, you okay down there? You know what? Uh, yeah. You don't have an erection problem down there, do you? Because I know a guy if you do.
me fighting back erectionless tears. <laughs> yes, yes, I'll do just that. So I wish to say thank you, Nash Morton. I look forward to taking my future erection to a place where men run wild. I am forever in your debt, sir. Just in case you forget who I am. <laughs> Putting a lot of emphasis on the H. <laughs> the H is, the second H is silent. <clears throat> uh, so, you all got to meet my wife earlier tonight. She's my favorite person in the world. And it's, it's true. I don't say that to elicit an awe. It's absolutely true. When I was a little boy, I remember talking to my dad. And uh, I said, Dad, who's your best friend? And my dad says, your mother. And I was like, oh, I get it. You have to say that on account of like she provides the food and stuff, but <laughs> come on, really, like who's your best friend, dad? Really, your mother is my best friend. She's not even here, like you're wasting it. <laughs> my dad said I would understand when I was older. And he was right. Um, Anne and I have been together for 16 years. We've been married for 13 of those 16 years. We've raised two kids together. Um, thank you. And um, she is absolutely my best friend. Uh, she is, uh, our, our relationship is, it's really awesome. It's a partnership. And we complement each other really, really well. And uh, uh, there, are, there are areas where like, I can do a thing that, that she can't do, like computer stuff. And there are areas where she does stuff that I can't do, like everything else. <laughs> and... Um, and I'm just, I'm really lucky. And uh, uh, I see every now and then on Twitter, I see someone say, you know, my dream is to someday have a, a, a relationship like the one that Ann and Will have. And that is the, the most amazing thing ever. Uh, because I remember when I was a kid, you know, I would see like fake romances and be like, oh man, I wanna have, I, wanna, I want that. That's what I want. And then I thought, you know what, those just, those things don't really happen. And it turns out that they do. Um, and I want to tell you a couple of stories that sort of, uh, uh, I think, paint a picture of our, uh, our relationship, of our friendship, and of our marriage. So uh, uh, the first of those stories is called Triple Word Score. Um, <laughs> somebody is excited about that. I guess we can take you out of the Nash Morton line. Um, <laughs> Uh, I am a gamer. I love gaming. It is, uh, I love it. Of all the things that make me a nerd, there are a lot of things that make me a nerd. Nothing brings me more joy and is more important to who I am than gaming. That's why I created a show you may have seen called Tabletop. <laughs> and uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, ask the person next to you and then go give us all the thumbs up. Um, <laughs> So, uh, every now and then, Anne and I play games, and uh, she doesn't really play, not, no, not those games that I, not those games that I don't quite know how to play yet. All right, I'm good at those games, you guys. 
Seriously, I have, a, I have a wardrobe full of robe and wizard hats. True story. Um, somebody roll to see if I'm getting drunk. Um, so, uh, uh, but Anne doesn't really play nerd games with me very much. She'll play Settlers of Catan, and, uh, and we play the shit out of Cards Against Humanity. Um, uh, and, uh, and, and, and she loves um, uh, all, of the, like, uh, all of the sort of social games, but you know, like, I'm never gonna get her into a game of Eclipse, it's just not her speed. But Anne loves Scrabble. I hate Scrabble. I hate it so much. But, uh, but we play it anyway, and that's what the story is about. Anne is one of those Scrabble players who regularly scores between 350 and 400 in a two-player game. Seriously. Anne is to Scrabble as Chris Hardwick is to bowling. Anne is to Scrabble as Charles Carrion is to being a giant douchebag. Anne is to Scrabble as Mitt Romney is to lying. Yeah. She is good at it. I, on the other hand, am one of the Scrabble players who is lucky to break 150 points without opening the dictionary to find out if this weird collection of hieroglyphics in front of me can somehow be assembled into a legal word that is more complicated than something you find in a typical entry-level Dick and Jane book. I do not provide even a nominal challenge, and where the average player would experience something akin to fun while playing a game, I experience something more like incredible fucking frustration. But Anne insists that we play together. She says, making words is fun. <laughs> Oblivious to my failure to use all my letters even once in the decade we've been playing. But because Anne will put up with me describing everything in the world in role-playing game terms, for example, oh God, some asshole cast freezing cloud outside. I thought I'd have picked up some resist cold with all my trips to Seattle, but I just took D8 damage going 15 feet to the garage and back, and I keep failing my saves even though I'm back in the house and I have a plus four blanket of not being cold on. <laughs> True story. The very least I can do is provide some companionship while she makes the Scrabble board and me her bitch. <laughs> this is written, incidentally, around Christmas, in, uh, around 2007. For several months, I've been able to avoid the humiliation of putting my scrabular impotence on full display, but when she asked me to play last night after dinner, her breathtaking beauty, illuminated only by the twinkle lights on our tree and the flickering glow of our fireplace, I failed to save versus charm and went directly to our game closet. I looked past games that would be fun for me to play, like Battle Lore, Carcassonne, Guillotine, Awful Green Things from Outer Space, Uno. <laughs> Enslaved by her spell, I pulled Scrabble off the shelf and took it to the living room. Our dogs curled up on the floor next to us as we began to play. I drew an X from the bag. She drew an E. Of course she did. It was an unnecessary harbinger of things to come. She went first and instantly took a 20-point lead. I scored seven. 
almost twice my usual opening score. Four or five turns later, she played sexy for a triple word score, and I never, ca and I never caught up. It was a blowout. I was Custer at Little Bighorn, Varro at Kane, the Broncos in Super Bowl 24. Ooh, sports ball. With about 20 tiles remaining in the bag, I saw a chance to draw within 40 points. I had Q-I-E-E-B. Fuck you, Scrabble. After I'd played an ineffectual two letters for a humiliating three points. I knew that if I reached into the bag and drew a T, N, or R, I could place the Q on a triple word score, build off the U in fugue, and make quiet, queer, or queen. I drew the T, and I held my breath. For Murphy's Law of Scrabble is that with 85 potential places to play, my wife will play in the one place that leaves me thoroughly fucked. <laughs> and put down two tiles building off the F in fugue and blocking me. Are you fucking serious? I said. It's a bundle of sticks, she said. I know what it is! But you couldn't have made wag, or tag, or nag, or hag. I pointed to four of the 85 potential other places she could have played on the board. I'm sorry, she said. Do you want me to play in a different place? It'll be the same score. <laughs> this is how it always is when we play games together. She isn't competitive. She's blissfully unaware of my anguish as I attempt to match her score. She doesn't know that I consider it a small moral victory if she doesn't double my score. <laughs> no, I said, I'll find another place to play. I don't need your pity. <laughs> I put my tiles down. That'll be two points. <laughs> Again. She recorded my score. I noted that she wasn't doubling my score by ten points. And I resolved to close the gap. I failed. With only a U and an I to play, I was down by over 100 points, and I just wanted the game to be over. You know, like in the second turn of Descent. <laughs> For the 10 of you that get that joke, it's very, very funny, because it's very true. Okay, I play the U here, and I make Vux, I said. What's Vux, she asked. Oh, you don't know? It's what it's called when you suck so hard at Scrabble that you just make up a word so the fucking game can be over. <laughs> Using a sentence, my wife kicked my ass so hard I just went for the vux. <laughs> she looked at me and slowly shook her head. I took the tile off the board and replaced it with the I. Vix, she said. Yeah, vix is what it's called when you try to vux and your wife cock blocks you. <laughs> like... Well, I tried to vox, but my wife totally vixed me. <laughs> she looked at me again and she laughed. I joined her. I concede, I said, you are the ultimate master of Scrabble. She leaned over the board and kissed me. Thanks for playing with me, she said. I love you. I love you too, sweetheart. Our gaming philosophy is very simple. It's not about winning or losing. It's about enjoying the time that we spend playing a game together. This is why Anne puts up with my vuxing. And I keep coming back for more, 
even when she vixes me. I think you dropped something. Is this googly eye yours? Uh, so, here's uh, um, uh, one more story about, about the two of us. It's called, um... yeah, I'm watching you. It's called In Which Highlights for Children is Discussed at Great Length. Last night on the way home from dinner, I said to Anne, do you remember the magazine Highlights for Children? Of course I do, she said. I remember how I hated going to the doctor when I was a kid until I started reading highlights in the waiting room. Turn right at this intersection, I said, and Trader Joe's will be on the left in a block. She turned right, and I realized that Trader Joe's is actually to the left. Oh, shit. My bad. It's, uh, it's actually back there, I said. As we drove under the freeway to a place where we could make a U-turn, I said, did anyone ever read highlights someplace that wasn't the doctor or dentist's office? <laughs> the library at my school had a subscription, so we'd read it there, she said. We got to the next intersection which featured a nice big no U-turn sign. Well, this quick stop at Trader Joe's is turning into quite an adventure, I said, as we waited at the red light. We were quiet for a second. I said, I bet seeing highlights in someone's house would have been like seeing your teacher at the grocery store. Like it's familiar, but it is totally out of context. So. You feel uncomfortable, you don't know what to do, and you just kind of look at your feet and hope that the whole thing ends before you get homework. <laughs> the light turned green and we made a left onto a dark industrial street. You know what I always hated about highlights? Anne said, some idiot kid had always circled the hidden pictures. <laughs> oh, seriously, I said, fuck that kid, man, that kid's a dick. She looked at me. And what kind of parent gives their kid a pen to draw all over a magazine that is obviously intended for multiple kids to read? Asshole parents, I said. It's called Highlights for Children, jerk. Not Highlights for Your Children. Because doctor's offices don't exactly have pens lying around, she said. There's one, and it's attached by a chain to a clipboard. She pulled into a driveway about halfway down the street and turned around. Yeah, some mom had to go into her purse, dig around the used Kleenex and that giant weird checkbook wallet thing that moms carry, and find her pen. We turned back toward Trader Joe's. I raised my hands over my head as we went through the freeway underpass. Wee! I put my hands back in my lap. I mean, that's a lot of time for her to think, hey, maybe I shouldn't be giving little Johnny Fuckface this pen to ruin the magazine for all the other children. We turned into the tiny Trader Joe's parking lot and parked the car. As we got out and walked in, I said, Highlight should have done a goofus and gallant about that, man. You've spent a lot of time thinking about this, and said. It's what I do. <laughs> now, about three weeks after I wrote this story, I got an email from Highlights Magazine. 
Uh, if you look at the screen here, I just draw your attention to the man with the beard who is very unhappy with this child. And he's making a motion with his hand that you may have seen me make from time to time. You'll also notice the good child over here who is not fucking ruining Goofus and Gallant and Hidden Pictures. This came to my house and I was like, what the actual fuck? I'm indirectly a contributor to Highlights for Children. And I'm in it! I emailed the awesome person at Highlights who sent it to me, and I said, um... Ah! I was moderately more articulate, but, I mean, it was... She sent back, um, would you like a, a, a framed print of this? I was like, does anyone say no to that? No, please don't send me the framed print of me and highlights for Children Magazine in a goofus and gallant based on a thing I wrote for my blog because it was amusing to me. I had this idea earlier that there should be a sketch about a guy and he's like, does not get sarcasm guy. So that guy would go, oh, okay. Anyway, she sent it to me, and it's in our house. <laughs> it's right there uh, on, the, on the hutch behind the, 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 the sofa where we watch TV. It's going to eventually be hung in a place of pride, probably next to the Hirschfeld I have of the cast of Star Trek The Next Generation. Because in my mind, they're equal. Thanks. Okay, I'm going to tell you one last story, and for this story, I'm going to require uh, the uh, assistance of Paul and Storm and John Roderick. Gentlemen. It's another Will Wheaton sausage fest up here. That's very funny if you watch The Big Bang Theory. I imagine some of you do. Um, <laughs> uh, so, a very long time ago, that seems really weird to say, but it's true, it was a very long time ago, I was, I was learning how to be a writer, and I was uh, writing stories in my blog all the time, and I kept trying to sort of channel my inner David Sedaris, Gene Shepard, uh, uh, like um, uh, memoirist. And I ended up writing a story about the time I traded my land speeder. I mean, sorry, I traded my awesome Death Star for a shitty land speeder and it sucked. And that's a story I've told at Woodstock a bunch. And that's the story that when I wrote it on my blog, I felt like I was a real writer because I had told a story that had a beginning and a middle and an end um, and that people enjoyed. And uh, I looked everywhere for stories like that in my memory uh, as the, the you know, months and weeks went on. And, and around uh, the 4th of July 
in like 2003, maybe, uh, I found another one of those stories. And uh, it's a story called Fireworks. And because this particular uh, Comic Con falls so very close to Independence Day, uh, I thought that it was appropriate to, uh, to tell you this story because it is timely. Um, the story was written before I had uh, adopted the kids. And uh, when we were, uh, we were just, we were still like married. Why does my, what is my phone? Oh, Paul sent me an ASCII dick. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, so this is called Fireworks, and I hope you enjoy it. <clears throat> when I was growing up, my family spent 4th of July with my father's aunt and uncle. Oh, actually, before I start this, if I just bring the whole everything down for a second. My great uncle, who, is, who I tell in this story, uh, recently uh, died uh, at the age of like 600. And um, uh, he, um, he was really super awesome. Um, but he was a very prideful man, and he didn't let anyone in his family know that he uh, was uh, sick and probably wouldn't be with us very long, and none of us got to say goodbye to him, um, which is kind of the way he wanted it because he was very proud. But for those of us that are left behind, it sucked. So uh, don't do that. <laughs> All right. Anyway, um, I'm dedicating this story to Uncle Dick. When I was growing up, I always spent Fourth of July with my father's aunt and uncle at their fabulous house in Toluca Lake, California. It was always a grand affair, and I looked forward to spending each Independence Day listening to Sousa marches, swimming in their enormous pool, and watching a fireworks show on their back patio. The fireworks display was always exciting because we were in the middle of Los Angeles County, where even the most banal of fireworks, glow worms, are as illegal as crack cocaine, <laughs> carrying severe fines and the threat of imprisonment. The excitement of watching the beautiful cascade of sparks and color pouring out of a happy flower with report was always enhanced by the knowledge that we were engaged in an activity which was forbidden and subversive. <laughs> <laughs> really? There it is. Yes, even as a child, I was already on my way to being a dangerous subversive. Feel free to talk to any of my middle school teachers if you doubt me. Bad to the bone. Each year, the older children, usually the teenagers and college-aged, would, would be chosen to light the fireworks and create the display for the rest of the family. I was chosen in 1987, when I was 14. The younger cousins with whom I'd sat for so many years would now watch me, the way we'd watched Tommy, Bobby, Richard. <laughs> Tommy, Bobby, Richard, and Mike, because apparently my family was new addition. Uh, <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> cool it now. <laughs> Kids, ask your parents. 
Parents, when your kids ask them, just bel air them. You'll be glad you did. We would watch, so the, the younger cousins with whom I'd sat for so many years would now watch me the way we had watched Tommy, Bobby, Richard, and crazy cousin Bruce, who always brought up bricks of incredibly illegal firecrackers up from Mexico. I was 14 years old, and I was about to be a man in the eyes of my family. This particular 4th of July was also memorable because it was the first 4th that was celebrated post-Stand By Me. And at the time, I had become something of a mini-celebrity around the family. Uncles who had never talked to me before were asking me to sign autographs for people at their work. Older cousins who had done nothing but pick on me for years were proclaiming me cool. And I was the recipient of a lot of unexpected attention. When the night has come And the land is dark And the moon is the only light we'll see I was initially excited to get all this newfound attention because I'd always wanted to impress my dad's family. I'd wanted to make my dad proud. But deep down inside, I felt like it was all a sham. I was the same awkward, uncomfortable, nerdy kid I had always been. And they were treating me differently because of the perception of celebrity, which I had already realized was fleeting and bullshit. Looking back on it now, I think that invitation to light fireworks may have had less to do with my age than it had to do with my growing fame. But I don't care. Fame is fleeting. But, according to my friends who are in rock bands, it can get guys cool things from time to time. I allowed myself to believe that it was just a coincidence. The day passed as it always did. There were sack races, basketball games, and water balloon tosses, all of which I participated in, but with a certain impatience. These yearly events were always fun, to be sure, but they were standing directly between me and the glorious excitement of pyrotechnic bliss. At last, the sun began to sit. Lawn chairs were arranged around the patio. Clothes were changed, and I bid my brother and sister farewell as I joined my fellow firework lighters near the corner of the house. As the sun sank lower in the western sky, sparklers were passed out to everyone, even the younger children. I just have to say that I think it's kind of weird that you put something that burns at about 700 degrees in the hand of a toddler and then encourage them to wave the thing around. I'm just wondering if that's maybe not the best parenting decision that can be made. I politely declined. My mind absolutely focused on the coming display. I wanted to make a big impression on the family. I was going to start out with something amazing, something which would really grab their attention. Probably start out with some ground flowers, then go for a piccolo peat, finish off the first act with a sparkling cone. From then on, I just improvise with the older cousins following their lead as we worked together to weave a spectacular tapestry of burning phosphor and gunpowder for five generations of family. The sun finally set, the family was finally seated, and the great display was finally ready to begin. 
Some of the veteran fireworks lighters went first, setting off some cascading fountains and a pinwheel. The assembled audience cheered and gasped its collective approval. And it was my turn. Do you ever feel like a plastic bag drifting through the wind, wanting to start again? Do you ever feel, feel so paper thin, like a house of cards, one blow from caving in? I steeled myself and walked to the center of the large patio, casually kicking aside the still-hot remains of just-fired fountains. Casually, like someone who had done this hundreds of times before. My hands trembled slightly as I picked up three ground flowers. I'd wound their fuses together. My thumb struck flint and released flaming butane. I lit the fuse and became a man. Ignite the light and let it shine. The sparkling fire raced toward the ignition point, and rather than following the directions to put on ground, light fuse, and get away, I tossed it on the ground. Just on the night, like the fourth of July. The bundle of ground flowers rolled quickly across the patio, directly toward my captive and appreciative audience. Two of the ground flowers ignited and began their magical dance of colorful fire on the cement, while the third continued to roll coming to rest in the grass beneath the chair of a particularly old and close-to-death great-great-great-aunt. Cause baby, you're a firework! Something, something, not you want! The colored flame, which was creating a beautiful and harmless display feet away on the patio, was spraying directly at this particular matriarch. The jet of flame licking obscenely at the bottom of her chair. The world was instantly reduced to a few sounds. My own heartbeat in my ear. The screams of children seated near my great-great-great-aunt. And that unmistakable fading zip of the now dying ground flowers on the patio. I don't know exactly what happened, but somehow my great-great-great-aunt who'd managed to survive every war of the 20th century and the Great Depression, managed to somehow survive me. She was helped to her feet, and she laughed. Take a load off any, take a load for free, take a load off any. She was the only one who was laughing. One of my dad's cousins, 
who was well into his 20 and never attended family gatherings, accompanied by the same date, sternly ripped the lighter from my hand and ordered me back to the lawn to sit with the other children. Maybe I could try again next year when I was more responsible and not such a careless idiot. I was crushed. My moment in the family spotlight was over before it had even begun, and not even the glow of pseudo-celebrity could save me. I carefully avoided eye contact as I walked slowly, humiliated and embarrassed, back to the lawn, where I tried not to cry. I know the rest of the show unfolded before me, but I don't remember it. All I could see was this mental slow-motion replay of the bundle of ground flowers rolling across the patio. If that one rogue firework hadn't split off from its brothers, I would still be up there for the finale. I could have lit pinwheels and a Chinese lantern. When the show was over, I was too embarrassed to apologize, and I raced away to the car before the patio lights could come on. I spent the rest of the evening there, waiting to go home. The following year, I was firmly within the grip of sullen teenage angst, and I spent most of the festivities with my face firmly planted in the Warhammer 40,000 rulebook. And I watched the fireworks show with the calculated disinterest of a 15-year-old that's too cool for the room. That teenage angst held me in its grasp for the next few years. I even skipped a year or two, opting to attend some parties where there were girls who I did not talk to. By the time I achieved escape velocity from my petulant teenage years, Aunt Betty and Uncle Dick had sold that house in Toluca Lake, and Fourth of July would never happen with them again. The irony is not lost on me that I wanted so badly to show them all how grown up I was, only to behave more childishly than ever in the following years. What would you do if I sang out a tune? Would you stand up and walk out on me? your ears and I'll sing you a song I will try not to sing out of key This 4th of July I sat on the roof of my friend's house with Ann and the boys We watched fireworks from the high school Nolan held my hand Ryan leaned against me and put his head on my chest as we watched the Chamber of Commerce create magic in the sky over La Crescenta I thought back to that day 15 years ago, and once again, I saw that ground flower roll under that chair and try to ignite great aunt whatever her name was. <laughs> then, I looked down at Nolan's smiling face, illuminated in flashes of, of color. This is so cool, he said. Thanks for bringing us to watch this. Just be glad you're on a roof and not in a lawn chair, I said. Why? Well, I began to tell him the story, but we were distracted by a particularly spectacular aerial flower of light and sparks. In that moment, I realized that no matter how hard I try, I'm never going to get back that day in 1987, nor will I get to relive those sullen years that happened afterwards. But I do get to sit on the roof with my wife 
and our kids now and enjoy the 4th of July as a dad. At least until the kids hit the sullen teenage years themselves. Then I'm going to sit them in lawn chairs and force them to watch me like ground flowers. Baby, I'll get by with a little help from my friend. Baby, I'll get by with a little help from my friend. Baby, I'll get by with a little help from my friend. And also, Winnie was there. Thank you. See you after intermission, Woodstock. There's a whole other half of a show coming.